I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Tony Saldana, author and president of Transformant. His new book is Why Digital Transformations Fail, The Surprising Disciplines of How to Take Off and Stay Ahead. We're in the fourth industrial revolution, a time of profound digital transformation, and companies need a clear roadmap for navigating their own successful evolution. Automation is a start, but it's not nearly enough, according to digital transformation expert Tony Saldana. The key reason companies fail at digital transformation is that they fail to undertake a focused, disciplined approach. During his 27-year career at Procter & Gamble, he ran both operations and digital transformation for P&G's famed global business services and IT organization in every region of the world, ending up as VP of Global Business Services, Next Generation Services, As an advisor to boards and CEOs on digital transformation and a sought-after speaker, he also founded a consulting firm specializing in assisting organizations through digital transformations. Welcome to the show, Tony. Nice to have you here. Hey, thank you, Catherine. All right, well, let's start out. You've had, obviously, lots of experiences in major corporations. You've been all over the world. You've worked with big companies. Now you have your own consulting firm. Um, but digital transformation, now, does this apply, and companies have to go through this, as you say, this is the fourth industrial revolution. How different is it for, let's say, major corporations going through this process as to, let's say, small businesses, uh, startup businesses? Uh, are, are there different ways in which they would go through a digital transformation? Yeah, that's a, <clears throat> that's a great question. Sorry. Um, I, uh, I actually think that the way in which they would approach it, meaning small companies rather than large, um, would be very similar um, in, in terms of the steps, the discipline, so on and so forth. The one thing that is different, though, is I think for startups and small and medium enterprises, this is an opportunity to disrupt. This is an opportunity of historic proportions. If they find a way to change the way they work, they can take on Goliath, and they can be, you know, the next billion-dollar uh, company of the future. Well, how do they do that? Oh, that's what we're going to talk about specifically, I guess, because you say they have to be very focused. It can't just be sort of a one-shot deal in terms of changing the company. You really have to take it through. Take a very disciplined, focused approach. So. Yes. What are those phases? What would you do? And maybe give an example of a company actually doing it, because I think it's easier to understand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, I think in the fourth industrial revolution, um, there are three possibilities. One is that, you know, you come out with um, uh, smart products, right? So, you know, smartphone instead of your dumb phone, you know, a smart car instead of, a typical car, a, a smart toothbrush instead of your a mechanical toothbrush. The, the second is that you come out with new ways uh, to go to market, new business models, so online shopping instead of you know, physical. And the third is that your internal operations, um, you know, whether it is the incredible logistics of Walmart, of uh, Amazon, uh, you know, uh, so those are the possibilities, right? So... This is um, obviously a challenge both for large companies as well as small companies. Where small companies have an advantage is that they do not have the 
the, the, the legacy issues and the, you know, incredible change management issues of larger companies. So, for example, um, you know, they're able to make decisions and act upon them quickly, right? You, you don't have the issue of swimming around a big battleship, uh, you know, midstream. Um, and um, you see that in the way the market is playing out. Um, so, for example, you have... Um, Walmart that went ahead and acquired Jet.com because it was easier to acquire, uh, you know, a, a digitally uh, uh, created company than to turn Walmart around uh, in its own line. Uh, Unilever did the same thing uh, by acquiring Dollar Shave Club. Uh, I used to work for Procter & Gamble, and, and, and Gillette is a very different uh, business. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I think... It, 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 there is a challenge of, of how do you actually change that. Uh, and so that's really what is happening. Um, but the opportunity for smaller companies, back to your um, question, is to figure out, you know, where are their biggest leverage areas, right? I mean, you know, should they go ahead and sell differently, you know, online versus retail? Uh, do, they, do they make their product smarter? And some of them it makes sense, some of them it doesn't. Um, or at a minimum, what everybody can do is find a way to change the way they operate, right? So not just automate the way they're running payroll, but find a way if they can actually compensate their people differently. Payroll is no different in many ways than, you know, giving or, uh, or exchanging money on PayPal or Venmo. And, and that's really what you start to see a lot of small companies do. What about employees or hiring practices? I mean, are those different? Are you hiring younger people, people who are more, let's say, in a, a smaller, medium-sized company, or, or I guess even in the larger corporations? Does the sort of the face or the demographics of your employees begin to change as well? Oh, that's a great question, Catherine. I, I, I think, you know, we, we talk about um, digital transformation as something that applies to companies and, and maybe even governments. But I think the bigger uh, uh, opportunity is at an individual level. Um, so firstly, yes, companies are uh, hiring differently. And by the way, they're not just hiring differently, but they're training differently. So uh, Amazon um, recently announced that they were going to spend, uh, I think they said $700 million to train their workforce uh, on digital skills. And that's a little crazy because, you know, Amazon is a, relative com- a, new, a relatively new company, and they're very, very good at technology. And for them to say, well, you know, even with our new technical workforce, um, the pace of technology is changing so rapidly that we're actually going to set aside, you know, quarter of, uh, three quarters of a billion dollars is, is absolutely crazy. By the way, they're not alone. A- uh, AT&T announced uh, a few years ago that they were going to set aside a billion uh, dollars to retrain 100,000 employees. Um, Loblaws, the Canadian retailer, um, much smaller, obviously, but they're setting aside, you know, a quarter of a billion dollars. So not only are companies hiring different skills, um, but they're also finding ways to retrain their existing employee base. What about when you talk about Amazon, let's... Can can companies? How do companies compete with Amazon? Oh Smaller yeah, companies. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it does sound <laughs> like um, you know an impossible task, given the fact that um, 
you know, Amazon unstoppable. But the advice that I give, you know, uh, companies, including startups, is, you know, you do not want to be Amazon. I think what you want to do is figure out how you can create a business model that draws upon your strength, right? So, for example, um, if you happen to be selling uh, books, uh, uh, you know, or, or in the publishing business, you know, trying to essentially play Amazon's game uh, is, 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 is a non-starter. You know, the strength that you may have if you're a bookseller is how do you turn your local mom-and-pop uh, bookstore into, you know, much more of a digital, uh, a social uh, kind of place, right? You know, so should you bring in, um, you know, bands on Friday evenings and, and, and have a different kind of environment there, right? Um, should you expand into a farmer's market uh, side by side um, and then use digital technology in, able, in, in order to reach out um, to very specific target audiences, right? Um, and so the, the three yeah. things that businesses can do is firstly, uh, leverage your existing strengths, um, which don't necessarily have to be the same uh, for everybody. The second is that um, use digital technology as a way to either reach um, uh, your target audience much more specifically or to drive up efficiency of whatever operation that you have. Or the third is, you know, obviously make your products a little smarter. And then the third thing that I suggest to companies is that find a way to retrain your people or hire people so that you are going to be, you know, uh, an, an, an ongoing living DNA of, of digital capabilities. So in other words, just I guess what you're saying is you have to embrace your own uniqueness, whatever that is. You're talking about the bookseller. And and I think that's, that's it really sounds appealing when you talk about that kind of a business because there is kind of wanting – Amazon, you can get it expedient, it's fast, it's quick, but then there's that sort of human need for connection. And if you can, you're saying if you can add that to obviously the, the digital age as well, but at the same time, you're sort of providing the same service in a very different way. That is absolutely true. Um, I, I think the, the, the companies that are um, thriving in this whole industrial re- uh, revolution are companies that essentially find a way to uh, use technology as a means to an end. And and that end is usually to create a stronger bond with the consumer and find better ways uh, to to serve your consumer, right? Um, And there's there's unlimited opportunities on how to do that. Um, The fact that, I mean, you know, you have so many personalized services available um, you know, that you can reach out to uh, digitally, you know, from, you know, getting a person at home uh, to, to essentially, you know, uh, meet the needs of your dog, um, all the way to um, uh, personalizing uh, the, the, the color and the shape and, you know, all of the other stuff on your M&Ms, right? Um, so all of that is possible, uh, but the way the, the, the technology is used is as a is is as a mechanism to go direct to consumer to try and not have to go through the middleman or the reseller, and then to find a way to actually uh, provide the absolute best customized services possible. 
What about grocery stores? How do, how does that, well, how do you see that working in terms of like supermarkets? Well, you know, it's, it's actually interesting. I mean, after the um, initial fear that, um, you know, grocery stores um, would run out of business, um, you know, especially after Amazon uh, acquired Whole Foods, what you're starting to see is that um, the blend of online and offline, uh, which is called omnichannel, is essentially king, right? Um, and so what Kroger and many of the other companies are doing uh, are innovating in, hey, you know, you have your grocery list, you know, you just place the order and, you know, you just drive to the store's parking lot and then they pick up groceries. Uh, or smart targeting of, you know, uh, specific people and their needs um, and, and, and making suggestions and sending them smart coupons and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, Home Depot, um, which um, uh, the, the big box retailer uh, of uh, do-it-yourself, is, is, is actually um, uh, doing fantastic um, after having struggled a little bit uh, about, you know, what they wanted to do because they have exactly found a way to drive omnichannel into the way they do businesses. And so I think, you know, grocery stores are a great example of how um, you know, companies are getting much better at meeting the needs of, of the consumer. Um, so the grocery store around the corner from where I live here in Cincinnati uh, not just provides on the channel, you know, not just provides me information on my phone as I'm walking down the grocery aisle saying, hey, you know, um, uh, we know you love chocolate. You know, there's a discount on such and such a chocolate available. Um, uh, and, and, and they also do other things. I mean, you know, they, they, they obviously have uh, food tasting and uh, happy hour and, you know, so on and so forth. And so um, that's the way business is evolving. Um, I think, it, again, you know, back to your question earlier, Catherine, around how do you take on Amazon or how do you take on some of these giants? The way you do that is, is basically embracing your uniqueness and figuring out a way for technology to meet the needs of your uh, customers much better. So where do you see, well, I was going to ask you, because as companies begin to do this, and we, what about, uh, you have an MBA. So I'm assuming the MBA programs or are, are changing the way, or are they? Do they change their curriculum, or are they changing their curriculum? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I've had the opportunity to, um, uh, to do lectures and, and, and teach at, at a few places recently. Um, I, I think the honest truth is that they're trying, but they have a long way to go, right? Um, so they're trying by um, driving more education in technology, right, in artificial intelligence and data science and, you know, so on and so forth, right? Um, but um, I think there is a, a, a long way to go because the reality of um, especially management education is that the skills that are going to be required um, in the fourth industrial revolution are, are actually a blend of the right brain and the left brain, right? Because you're going to have to not just automate the way the, the, the world is, um, back to Henry Ford's point about a faster horse carriage, but you know, you're going to have to disrupt by reimagining the world. And that's what digital technology allows you to do. Um, so instead of providing just automated kiosks for people to check in into the hotels 
as Hilton and other chains were, were trying to do in 2000s, um, Airbnb came in and said, well, wait a minute, you know, what check-in desk, right? <laughs> why don't, you know, what rooms, what asset, you know, why don't we just leverage people's bedrooms? Um, and, and that's creativity, right? And, and that kind of education which blends the scientific and um, uh, the traditional uh, streams of education and psychology, uh, design thinking, uh, creativity, empathy, focus on um, uh, your, your, your user, you know, that blending is very, very difficult. And I think that is the biggest opportunity in education, especially at uh, higher institutions of education. Tony, but I'm thinking as you're describing it, things happen so quickly. I don't know if it was one of Thomas Friedman's books, but he was, I've talked about how, you know, every six months things change. So how do companies, mm. how do they keep, I guess, keep up and keep adapting? And of course, it's costly. Uh, so, in, you know, in ref- so how, how do they do that? Yeah. Um, I think, um, and, and, and in the book, I talk about how, you know, that, that there are five stages of uh, digital transformation all the way from stage one, which is automation, right? You know, so you use software to do your accounting or your payroll up to stage five where you become a, a machine of constant evolution. I, I call that the living DNA stage. Um, so how do companies do that? Um, there is actually an evolving model, which is based on Google's best practices from about, you know, several years ago. So Google has this philosophy of 70-20-10, where 70% of the capacity uh, of the organization is focused on day-to-day running of the operations. 20% is on continuous improvement. Um, And then 10% is actually on disrupting yourself. Um, Most companies actually, and, 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 and again, you know, big and small, are not disciplined about having these three separate buckets. Uh, the reality, uh, having worked in a large company and, uh, and having run really large operations, is that you know your capacity is pretty much consumed by the first two buckets of running your operations and thinking about you know where's the next ten percent improvement going to come from. You really have neither resources nor mind space to actually get into the third bucket of disruption. Um, but that's not a negotiable. Uh, uh, issue anymore, I think. And whether it's 10% or 1%, um, you really have to have that third bucket. Um, Netflix, which is called out as an example of living DNA of constant disruption, uh, has disrupted itself at least three times, maybe four, from mail-in DVDs to, you know, streaming uh, video to original content, Game of Thrones, and so on and so forth. Um, And uh, uh, and, and, and now international content and, and international models, right? Uh, and, and they've done that within a not very long period of time, you know, about um, uh, 10, 20 years. And so companies are going to have to do that last, you know, let's have some capacity dedicated to disrupt ourselves much more deliberately. So, well, you've mentioned those are the the larger companies, I guess, right? I mean, we're talking about Netflix and and some of the larger companies. What would you say to somebody who's starting out, let's say an entrepreneur, um, because we haven't really talked about that, who's just starting a business? Um, How would you, uh, I mean, you're in the business of consulting with businesses, so uh, a startup company, what do they do? Um, I I, I, I think the same model of, 
having some mind space, having some uh, capacity dedicated to that third leg of disrupting yourself still applies. Um, so I'm, a, I'm an advisor to several startups, and, and, and then I do consulting uh, with, with as many small and medium enterprises I do, Fortune 100 companies. And, and actually, this issue of mind space and not having capacity to disrupt yourself is a much bigger challenge for the startups, right? Because sometimes, you know, you just have like a, a couple of people or maybe, you know, a, a few dozen or a few hundred people and, and business is booming and you have absolutely no time to even think about um, what's going to be, um, you know, done in the future. And then before you know it, you know, bam, you know, something changes, the technology changes, the market changes, and then you're completely out of business. So the first piece of advice that I give people is to say, hey, you know, even if you have to, um, you know, cut down uh, on um, some of the time that you spend on day-to-day operations, you know, find a way, you know, at least, um, you know, twice a year uh, to do a deep dive into parallel industries and into the technology startup world, right? Um, so when I worked at Procter & Gamble, I used to take my entire team four times a year uh, to Silicon Valley, um, uh, you know, uh, for, for several days um, to, to just kind of get out of the day-to-day. And so that's the first thing that I advise people. The second thing that I tell them is understand your strength back to our previous conversation and then figure out how you can create a passion project. So, you know, I work with a a, a really small um, uh, uh, ethnic distribution business uh, down in the, the, the southern part of the country. And, you know, what they're starting to do is they've spun off a passion project to say, hey, you know, maybe... Um, retailers, small mom and pop stores can text us uh, their orders. And, and they're not spending a lot of money on that, but they're, they're figuring out how to actually, you know, uh, disrupt themselves uh, because they're in the physical uh, uh, distribution business. And the third thing that I tell them is, you know, again, people, right? Make sure that you're, you know, retraining and you're hiring people that are digitally literate, right? Because that is going to be your path to understanding what's possible. So in other words, you're going to take a whole group of probably, I don't know if this is true or not, but the demographics of, let's say, baby boomers, are they going to, are the older baby boomers who they keep saying, well, they want to work to their 75 years old. Are they going to be able to do that in this new digital age or digital transformation, you know, training new people? Can you actually do that with people who, um, you know, haven't had this experience or, or, or what happens to, to that group of employees? Yeah, that, 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 I mean, you know, um, I, I know this is going to sound ages, but I'm over myself. So, um, what the heck? Yeah, so <laughs> um, you can say it. Yeah. So I think um, that the challenge here is that um, um, if you're a lifelong learner, if you're open to learning, um, then honestly, the fact that, you know, your grandkids or your kids, you know, can pick up a, a new phone and, and not be trained and, and do things that seem amazing, that's not going to be an issue, right? Um, but I think if um, there is a mental block uh, about technology, uh, then I think there is a lot to be lost. Um, 
as uh, the, the, the prior three industrial revolutions have shown us. I think when it comes to um, uh, any technology change, there are exponential winners and then there are exponential losers, right? And the same was true with steam engines and electricity and the third industrial revolution of the internet, right? Uh, and it's not so much how much you know today, it's how much you're willing to learn. I have been absolutely amazed at, um, you know, some of my older friends and their capability to, to, to basically pick up, you know, programming in artificial intelligence or, you know, even understand without getting into the technology, the possibilities of how blockchain could be used in sub-Saharan Africa as a way to socialize the generation and, and collection of solar electricity and create a marketplace, right? And, and these are people that, you know, had absolutely no education in the area, but immense curiosity. Um, and I think that's going to be the distinguishing factor here. Uh, it's going to be the curiosity and the openness and the willingness to learn. Yeah, I guess the ability, which we're learning more about, of the plasticity of the brain. So there are opportunities. But as you say, there are going to some people who are just not going to be able to do it. And that happens no matter what. You know, we're in the fourth industrial revolution. We only have a couple minutes left. This is really, really interesting. Very interesting stuff. I love it. Uh, but Tony, it's, and we're talking to Tony Saldana, and his book is Why Digital Transformations Fail, The Surprising Disciplines of How to Take Off and Stay Ahead. Actually, we've been talking about how to be successful as opposed to actually how to fail, right? But um, yes. where can we buy your book? What, yeah, what websites can we go to to get more information about you, your, your company, and, and the book? Um, so um, the, the websites are um, transformant.io. So mush together the word transform and the insect ant. So that's transformant. .io, India, Oscar, um, or, um, you, you know, uh, you can go to whydigitaltransformationsfail.com. Uh, the book is available, you know, everywhere. Books are sold in all formats, so audio, uh, PDF, um, hardcover, so on and so forth. Um, uh, or you can reach out to me directly at Tony S at transformant.io. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. It was great talking to you. Likewise, Catherine. A real pleasure. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 